Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed to you as of first importance what I turned had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest while the rest of us are seated. Good to be with you, church family. Uh, If you are new or you don't know who I am, my name is Daniel Long. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Grace and have the privilege of sharing with you from God's Word. And I'd like to pray and ask that God would speak to us this morning as we engage this together. So will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, you are committed to us through your Son, Jesus, your ongoing power and presence in the Spirit. You are a God who speaks. Help us to hear. You are a God who has come to us. Help us to be open to receive you, to be open to the ways that you might have with us. God, I ask that you would draw us into life with you, new life, deeper life, more rich and full life with you, your son Jesus. Amen. I love that 1 Corinthians 15 passage because Paul is pretty clear on what is important. And we're going to talk about the Apostles' Creed, but what I hope we end up talking about is in large part what the creed wants to do and what it's focused on is the person of Jesus and what God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm curious where I would love to, like if each of you had almost like a, um, what's the word, subtitles that were going, like maybe I don't, but um, (laughs) it would be great to see and hear what it is you're thinking uh, because I wonder in this 
experience of faith and life with God where you might be, whether you are deeply committed and connected to God and you feel very vibrant and your faith seems very active, whether it's something that you are and have been a part of for so long but aren't really sure about anymore. Um, You come because you want to be here, but yet you sometimes wonder when you leave why you came at all. Or perhaps you aren't somebody who would identify as a Christian or having faith in Christ, And, and I would love to know why you are here. I'd love to know what it is you are thinking and what's drawing you in, what's compelling you or confusing you, what's bringing you closer or in some ways feels a little bit repellent. Um, Because we are all here, because I would like to believe that God has brought us here together to explore, to discover who God is, what he has for us. But no matter what, I hope that you have heard in the reading of scripture, certainly in the the song that, that was sung, that of utmost importance is what God has done in Jesus that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared. That is what matters. What God has done in Jesus, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is what gives this all shape and meaning. So whatever it is I preach about or somebody preaches about, whatever songs we sing in our worship, that is of utmost importance. And if you have not yet given yourself to Jesus, opened your life so that Christ might make your life new, I invite you to do so. And if you are somebody who is holding Jesus at arm's length, though it's a faith you've been part of for a very long time, I hope that God draws you in. For those whose faith feels vibrant, I hope that it becomes more and more rich and deep and that you encounter God afresh. That is my hope. That is our hope. That is our prayer. And that is the hope in the series of the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to be spending a long time in the Apostles' Creed from now until Easter talking through this ancient document, this ancient creed of the church, And it's written on the walls, and you can read through it, and you can probably say to yourself, I believe that, or we are supposed to believe that, or do I, or should I, or don't I? But we're going to be talking about the Apostles' Creed together. We're going to be engaging it through sermons. We're actually going to be saying it together in our worship occasionally, but also I want to invite you, if you haven't already, we're going to be talking about it and discussing it in life groups which is an incredible time to foster connection with one another, but also to have conversation about what the creed, the Apostles' Creed, brings up and what it says. So sign-ups are still going on. Life groups will start next Sunday. Um, And the hope, if we can get our act together, no, I think we have it together, the hope is that the sermons will also coincide with that week's reading so that we're in a constant and ongoing discussion around the creed and what God might have for us through it. So I invite you to be a part of it. But here, I want to talk this morning, this is pretty much an introductory sermon about the creed, some history, some ways of thinking about it, and then my hopes um, and an invitation of how God might want to um, engage our lives with it. But I'm curious what you think about creeds in general or the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Because I don't know about you, but I grew up in a tradition, and though it wasn't explicitly said that we aren't that we don't believe in creeds, we ne- it was never part of my worship. 
I, went, I started going to church on a regular basis in high school, and I'd never once recited the Apostles' Creed until, like, two days ago. No, I'm kidding. But I, I never once said the Apostles' Creed until later on as an adult. Now, if you're part of a high church tradition, this might be part of your liturgy. It's, it's common, actually, to, to recite the Apostles' Creed and other creeds in worship in different seasons of the year, like the Nicene Creed, that you might be aware of it. But if you're evangelical, creeds, in some ways, are engaged with a little bit of suspicion. Why do we need creeds? We have the Bible. No creed but the Bible. So why engage a creed? But then for others, I wonder... If you are suspicious of creeds because you don't want your faith or what you believe to have any sort of boundaries. You want it to be open. You want your sense of what you believe to be determined largely in part by you or by your experience. Well, the wonderful thing about the Apostles' Creed is I think it speaks to both of those things. For those who don't want boundaries around faith and what it means to speak or talk like a Christian and what it is we believe, then it says, well, no, it's good to know what it is we're supposed to be thinking and talking about. It's good to know what matters and what we together profess as God's people who identify with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But for those of you who are like, no creed but the Bible, it's also helpful because it reminds us we need help reading the Bible. That we all have our own interpretive lenses when we come to Scripture. And the Apostles' Creed can become one of those helpful lenses to help us see what it is we're supposed to see and what is of utmost importance, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So we're going to be talking about the Creed and thinking of it in that way. And there's precedence for this in Scripture. If you want, you can turn to your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, and we're just going to spend brief time there. I'll find the page number for you. 151. Deuteronomy 6. Now there's precedences for creedal formulas or shorthand for what matters most in Scripture. The Apostles' Creed isn't unique in that way. If you think about the people of God and their laws and statutes and what it was they were supposed to do as God's people, it became common practice to actually recite things that mattered most. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4. This is called the Shema. And Jews, even today, say this together because this is what identifies them as God's people in what they believe and what they think. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That there are, there are formulas, or there is shorthand language, that we are, as God's people are to adopt to help remind us, to help instruct us, and to help us pass on the faith. 1 Corinthians 15, which we heard read, is another one of those formulas, Paul's shorthand for what the gospel is. And when he talks about the gospel, he uses the language according to the scriptures. Of course there is more to the story that God is telling, but it finds that the apex of that story, the most significant elements of that story, the interpretive lens of that story in the person of Jesus. And so the Apostles' Creed becomes something like that, as a tool for instruction 
as a tool to help pass on the faith, as a tool to help us remember what it is we're supposed to think and talk about. And it was developed by the church early on in its history, around the 3rd, 4th, or 5th centuries, and a few different creeds. And there's a few myths about how the Apostles' Creed was created. One of those myths, which is quite nice and actually ridiculous, is that um, the 12 disciples, they penned each of one of the phrases. That's so nice, right? They got together, and whatever was most important to them, they got to put it in the creed. And so we have the Apostles' Creed. That's not true. Um, and, but it did come out of their, their teaching and their practice and the things that mattered to them. The Apostles' Creed was, was created and formed by the church, but taken in accordance with Scripture that it would inform what it is the church is passing on as a way to teach and as a way to instruct. And the Bible itself shows precedence for doing something like that because we all have the question of how do we pass on this thing that we are a part of right now? How do we do that? How are we going to pass on to those who are younger than us, those who are under our care, those who are under our leadership, how do we pass on the faith? The Apostles' Creed became an answer to that question for the early church. And it's connected to baptism. Now, if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, or not, because it's going to be on the screen. You're welcome. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this to his disciples, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in baptism, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you look at the creed, if you were to look at it there, there are three different articles that follow this formula, talking about the Father, talking about the Son, talking about the Holy Spirit, that this is the church's way of attempting to make disciples of people. The Apostles' Creed has been used for that purpose, to teach, to educate, and to help people who are going to be new converts and new baptized Christians into the faith and what it is they believe. Now, this is how it would work in the early church. Typically for a long period of time, actually right around this time, which is, it is honestly in my study coincidental, but people would go through the creed as a teaching and education tool. So people would want to come to know Jesus, they'd want to convert to Christianity, so they spent a long time being taught about Christianity, what they're to believe, how they're to talk, what they're supposed to think about. The creed became used toward that end. So there would be long time, Lent, around the season of Lent, Christians, new Christians would go, undergo this teaching and education tool based on the creed. Here's what it means to think about God. Here's how to think about God. Here's how to think about Jesus. Here's how to think about holy, the Holy Spirit and the church. They were taught in these things because if you think about it, the beginning of Christianity, this is a whole new thing. Something has happened in the person of Jesus. People are compelled by it. And it's changing everything. And people want to know what that means for their life. How do they become part of what God is doing and has done in Jesus? And so they want to become baptized because in baptism, a person's life is submerged and brought up to signify that they are identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And such things changes everything about a person's life. So they are to be instructed on what it is they are getting themselves into. 
And so then they would be instructed in these ways, and then all of a sudden at baptism, these would be turned into questions. First, do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And the person would respond, yes, and they would be dunked in the name of the Father. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son? Yes, and they'd be dunked in the name of the Son. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes, and they'd be dunked in the name of the Holy Spirit. See, this connection to baptism into this new thing of Christianity was so significant that people needed to be taught what it is they were getting themselves into. Many of us have simply found ourselves in Christianity. Some of us aren't even baptized. We didn't know that was actually something we should do. If you are a Christian who has given your life to Jesus and you are not baptized, it is something you should do because you identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because it's a whole new language and it's a whole new world one is entering. And so the Apostles' Creed became a primary teaching tool of what it is to be Christian and what it means to think like a Christian and what it means to talk like a Christian. And so why the Apostles' Creed now? Why talk about it? What significance does it have in our practice together? We don't say it, except for around Easter time, which is intentional because we've been worshiping with another community, and so it's a, it's a way of signifying what holds us together and focusing on the unity rather than the differences of our polity or the way that we do church. But why? Like why, why is it something worth considering in 2020 of all times and places? Well, I think part of it, because of its way of teaching and passing on the faith. But also, I think one of the significant ways in which the Apostles' Creed works is it helps us to navigate what one scholar named Alistair McGrath says, the landscape of faith. If we are entering into a new world, if what God has done in Jesus is completely new, and we are, we are part of that world, then we need a guide in that world. And so this scholar suggests four ways, four images that I think are actually helpful of how we can think about the creed and the way it works. It works like a map, it works like a light, it works like a lens, and it works like a tapestry. So what do I mean by, or what does he mean by working like a map? Well, when you enter a new world or when you go to a new place, you pull out your smartphone and you usually just say, okay, I need directions here. That's not how it always worked. How it used to work so I've heard, um, is uh, how it used to work was you, you, would look, you would look at a map to get a sense of where you are, right? Not just where you are now and where you want to go, but a sense of everything around you. And if you wanted to locate where you are in space, then you would see the things to look out for, the different things, the names of places of, of important I don't know, landscape things. What am I talking about? I mean, like the landmarks. That's the language. See, language. I don't even know it because I don't need landmarks. But, but in, on a map, you see different landmarks. You see what to look so you can kind of navigate the space that you're in. You gain a new language for streets, for places, for buildings, for geography, for mountain ranges, things you didn't know before. Well, when we enter into the world, the new world of Christianity, we need that language because we need to know what we're looking at. We need to know what it means to talk of God. 
We need to know what it means to talk of this person, Jesus. We need to know what it means when we talk of the, this, this thing or entity that we call the Holy Spirit. We need to know what this landscape is like because language, vocabulary, makes a massive difference. And if we have a shared vocabulary of the way we talk and the things we're supposed to think about, then all of a sudden we have a way of being able to be together on our own, individual, but also, more importantly, our collective journey toward Jesus and with Jesus. It makes me think of the film Arrival. I don't know if you guys have seen that film. So Arrival is an incredible film. It's with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner or Jason Belt. Who's to say? Um, <laughs> Arrival is, this, is, a, is an incredible film where what happens, and it's very theological. I think it has so much theological depth, that film does. Because you have these weird alien things that, that come and simply rest in 12 different locations in the world. And you have these pods, and you have this main character, Amy Adams, plays a linguist, a semiotician. And she goes in, and they call her in so that, that she can understand what it is that they're doing because they are, they're trying to communicate. And along the way, what she discovers in their communication, which takes the place of symbols, she begins to learn a new language. And as she learns this new language, it actually changes the way that she sees the whole world. And not just the whole world, but history and the future that it changes the way that she engages her present. It, it changes everything. And because she's acquired this language, because she's one of the few who have acquired this language, she is able to see things that other people cannot see and are unable to. Now, the Apostles' Creed, in entering into a new language of Christian faith, is similar. That when we acquire a new language, of the things that we are to think about and talk about, it changes everything. It makes a difference. It makes a difference the things we say, and it informs the things that we do. So it acts like a map by letting us know where it is we are as Christians, as a place, what it means to profess faith in Jesus. It also works like a light. Now, it works like a light in that it illumines and illuminates the things that, that we need to consider most, right? It shows us those things in Scripture that should beg for our attention and our consideration, the things we need to spend time with. That's not to say we don't need to spend time with all of this. We do. But it also helps shed light on how to engage the Bible, because the Apostles' Creed, finding it as its central article in the person of Jesus, which actually sheds light on new things. It illuminates our world in a way that we had not considered before. It actually illuminates different parts of Scripture that might have been otherwise dry or confusing. But we have new things to think about, new questions to ask. And in that way, it also works like a lens. I was, in, I was studying literature at Cal State Long Beach, and what that means is not really reading literature. Uh, it usually means reading theory about literature. And when you engage theory 
regarding literature, what you are getting are different lenses to place on the text so that you see things that you probably otherwise wouldn't have seen. So you might have heard things like feminist theory or post-colonial theory or deconstructionist theory or new historicism. These are, these are interpretive lenses that are placed on the text that help you to ask questions, different types of questions than you would have otherwise asked. So if you're reading like Cat in the Hat, all of a sudden you're not, you're not wondering about the cat or his hat. You're actually wondering like, how does this text contribute to the oppression of people? Um, or or how, how, does, how does this text actually help us see the intellectual history of a text and how it was created? Um, it, but honestly, those are the types of questions that come out as in putting a lens on a book or a text of any kind. Well, when reading scripture, we need help reading scripture. I don't know about you, but sometimes this thing is not self-evident. And if you think it's supposed to be, and you read it and you think, oh man, I just don't get it, then that's a bummer, because then you might stop actually reading it, and there's a rich history, and this is what we, this is what points ultimately to the person of Jesus Christ. But we need help engaging the text. And some scholars suggest that the Apostles' Creed is a helpful lens, that it helps us ask the right questions. What does this text have to do with God who is maker of heaven and earth? Or of God's only son, Jesus? Or of the Holy Spirit? We begin to ask questions we would not have otherwise asked. And so the Apostles' Creed becomes a helpful lens. But it's also a tapestry in that it holds so many things together and reminds us that we need to as well. Because we worship a God who is a God, Father, Son, and Spirit. How do you describe that? How do you even think about that? Well, the creed tells us that we need to hold all of those things together. And when we're engaging the Christian life, when we're engaging scripture, when we're talking of God, we're talking about all of these things. That we can't compartmentalize our beliefs or our faith, that it's all connected somehow in, in, the, in the being that God is, who has been revealed in Jesus Christ and is ongoing in his power and activity in the Holy Spirit. So it reminds us that we need to hold all of these things together. That's what the creed does. So it helps as a map, as a light, as a lens, and as a tapestry. And it also, in this tapestry, it connects us, not simply myself to God and what I think and what I believe, but it holds us together in this long, rich history of faith that we are a part of, that I'm a part of, that you're a part of. So what are, what are my hopes, our hopes, for this time together in the Apostles' Creed? Well, in some ways, this is an invitation. And it's an invitation into life with God, into being pulled into that life with God, into being reminded of our faith, having a history. And it's also an invitation to adopt or learn or develop a posture of discovery. Now here's a helpful, I think, it's a helpful quote of how to think about this creed from Alistair McGrath. He says, the creeds are the Christian church's attempt to tell believers and the world what it has seen. A transformative and utterly compelling vision of God which resists any attempt to reduce it to plain words. See, so many people have a fear that creeds close faith off, 
But I think creeds allow us the freedom to explore what we're supposed to explore. It gives us the freedom to actually consider the things that we together are supposed to be caring about. And maybe in a way that's, that has new language to it or old language to it that's being rediscovered. But it allows us, it almost creates in some ways these, like a, a sandbox, if you will. Where within this sandbox, there's a lot of opportunity for discovery of learning new things. But it is boundaried. We know where we probably shouldn't go. Or we know what holds us together. So creeds aren't supposed to be oppressive. I think they're supposed to be freedom. Supposed to be giving us freedom to be able to, to think and to talk and discuss things together. And perhaps in different in full ways. But the hope and the invitation is to be pulled into life with God. And what do I mean by this? The creed, by its very nature, and what it's supposed to do is to say, look, God has done something new in Jesus. And it involves you. It wants to pull you into this life with God. Now what I hope is that as we discuss the Apostles' Creed, that it helps us pray and that it moves us to prayer. Stanley Hauerwas says this, Theology is the never-finished discipline of learning to speak with, to, and about God. Prayer, accordingly, is our most determinative speech. Any theology, therefore, that is finally not about helping us to pray cannot be Christian. I love that. The Apostles' Creed, I think, helps us to pray. It helps us and it gives us language of how to pray. And it's connected to the Lord's Prayer in that way, which we discussed last fall. Here's how we pray. Here's how we think about the God to whom we're praying, about this person of Jesus who, is, who God has done something through and the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, theology and thinking about the Apostles' Creed is not an end to itself. The end is to be enamored with, enchanted by, and in relationship with this God who has revealed himself in Jesus. St. Augustine says what we encounter in our contemplating God isn't to be looked at, but to be lived in. It's easy in Christian church to be so concerned with what it is we believe, so concerned with what others don't believe, that it becomes about the beliefs themselves. Theology in its history and time, is never about the thing itself. It is only primarily about God and what God has done in Jesus. And so I hope in our discussion in the creed we are pulled into life with God and we are pushed to prayer. I also hope that we're reminded or we, we see, we understand that, that our faith has a story. Our faith has a story. We are not doing something new, nor should we be doing something new. We are doing something that has been going on since Jesus came, died, and was risen again. And we are part of a faith that has a rich and wonderful and complex and sometimes awful history. But our faith has a story. And this is really important because it's right now, and I'm understand this because I actually have, I recognize the wrestling and the struggle, that it's hard to sometimes be a Christian. 
And it's hard to be a Christian because it seems as if faith is to be developed or new or we need to discover something new all the time, right? Like popular language right now for God is, is the word the divine. And all of a sudden when you, when you stop speaking about God in relationship to Jesus and in the Holy Spirit and speak of something as nebulous or as odd as the divine, you lose something massive. Because it's no longer located in a person or a history and what we're a part of. And so faith has a rich, complex, beautiful, sometimes awful history, and we're connected to it. And our, my hope in the Apostles' Creed and our discussion of it is that we can locate ourselves within it so that we recognize we're not doing something new, nor are we trying to do something new. We're trying to continually be the faithful people of God who are living in reference to this person named Jesus. But I also hope through our discussion and conversation around the Apostles' Creed that we develop or learn a posture of discovery. And what I mean by this is that we're open. We're open to, to new and, and even rich things about the gospel story that we'd not considered before. Things about God, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit that we weren't even aware of, or things that are part of our rich history and story of faith. Wow, the church fathers thought that? That's really interesting. But it's a posture of discovery that things aren't closed down, but they're open. Because when, they're, when we're able to have conversation and when we're able to wrestle, I think God can do wonderful, beautiful things through it. But that requires humility. It requires humility and it requires a deep trust. A deep trust in, in the God who has revealed himself in Jesus so I hope that as we discover afresh who God is and who he's revealed himself to be, that we would begin to adopt a new vision for the world. Ultimately, that is what I think God wants to do in Jesus. When Jesus says, come, follow me, we follow him as the good shepherd who reframes and retrains the way that we see and the way that we think. C.S. Lewis says this, I believe in Christianity is I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. My hope, our hope together, honestly our hope as a church, as the larger church, is that we become so transformed by the renewing of our minds that we begin to see things differently in light of the person of Jesus. That that shapes us and challenges us and it's encouraging to us and that it unites us together, and not just together now, but in this rich, rich story that God has been telling since the beginning of the world through his people, Israel, through the person of Jesus, and as the Holy Spirit continues to work in and through God's people in the church. So I guess to end, I hope that God would, would engage us so much so that we are pulled into new life. And I say new life, and I, the people who keep coming to mind are people who are here, and I'm not saying I know who you are, because I've been watching you, but like people here who, who haven't stepped a foot into the wonderful new world that is faith in Jesus. I hope and I pray that you would feel pulled in by God into that world, 
that you would discover that you've been found by God already. And I hope that those of us who have been a part of it, that our faith, that our relationship with Jesus takes on new shape and it's re-enchanted in a way. And the faith that we are part of becomes very rich and meaningful and beautiful. Again, not because of the creed, because of what the creed points to, which is the person of Jesus and what God has done through his life, death, and resurrection. That is of utmost importance. Thanks be to God.